welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, the podcast where we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope that it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors of sexual abuse too. We hope that you find it interesting, but more than that, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Alan Collins. I'm the partner who heads up the abuse team at Hugh James, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Kathleen Hallisey and Danielle Vincent. Hi, Danny. Hi, Kathleen. Hi, Alan. And in this podcast, we are going to be discussing the most hated man on the internet, which is the 2022 US three-part Netflix docu-series. Series, yeah. That covers the history of... Hunter Moore and his website, Anyone Up, which I understand is the pornographic site based on stolen and hacked photos, images, and the struggle to take that website down. So before we get going, I need to give a warning to remind those who are listening that we are going to be discussing sensitive and painful issues. And if you feel that you might be distressed, now's the time to turn away and go off and do something else. Otherwise, please do stay with us. So I'm now going to hand over to you, Danny, to expand on the little introduction that I gave to this podcast. Thanks, Alan. So yes, as you said, it's a three-part series that came out on Netflix in July this year, so July 2022. And it follows basically Hunter Moore and the website that he decided to start up which, as you said, is called Anyone Up. And my understanding of it is he set up this website, he got his heart broken by an ex-girlfriend, and almost as a revenge thing, he put a photograph up and effectively invited people to rate it without her consent. So this website seemed to grow and grow, and it allowed anyone to upload anonymously photographs of of people and allow people to comment on them and you know I'm sure our listeners will agree that's awful in itself but this website went a little bit further in that in that it linked these people's photographs so it wasn't merely your photograph with you naked on it it linked it to your Facebook or your social media your jobs even your home address. So there was a real fear of risk that people could be found and identified clearly from this. And, you know, there there was quite a lot of outrage at the time. And Moore himself described it himself as a professional life ruminant. There didn't seem to be much remorse. So the documentary explores further. There was a, a mother called Charlotte Laws And her daughter actually discovered that there were some topless images of her that went up on the site in 2012. Now, Charlotte Laws, as most mothers did, was very upset about this. She contacted the site, asked for it to be taken down, and it was just ignored. She then took it upon herself, seeing other images like this, to try and tackle this. She contacted numerous organisations. She spoke to the FBI. She campaigned tirelessly. She went on TV to talk about it. Because at this time, Hunter Moore was becoming more and more famous. He was out on the celebrity scene. He was DJing. People were looking up to him. 
And this website was getting thousands of hits. And more and more people were then uploading more and more images. In her specific case, in her daughter's case, it was actually her husband who was a English barrister. And he called the website lawyers and basically threatened copyright of his stepdaughter's image. So her image was taken down. But Charlotte Laws was not happy that other girls were going to be in the same position. So she started contacting women from this website because, as I say, they were easily identifiable. And it transpired that many of these women hadn't sent these images to anyone. They were their private images on their phones or in their emails. So there was a huge concern that actually these accounts were being hacked. And that was what had happened to her daughter. Her daughter had taken images on her private phone, sent them to her email. And after what transpired to be quite a big investigation, it was established that there was a way of their emails being hacked so that all of their images were released. Now, further on into the docuseries, there becomes a second man called James McGibney. And he was a former US Marine and an American entrepreneur. And he saw this website and he actually was disgusted by it and he wanted to get it down. So he basically approached Hunter Moore and there became a relationship where Hunter Moore offered him advertising space in order to carry on funding the website. So he built up this relationship with him. And in the end, because Hunter Moore was, you know, being threatened to be sued, it transpired that he needed to sell this website and McGibney bought it for, it was not very much money, it was £15,000, but then he effectively shut it down immediately and directed all the traffic back to one of his other sites, which was bullyville.com, which was basically an anti-bully website. So basically just shut it down and all of these images then disappeared. But at the time, the concern was that Hunter Moore was, he had this huge, huge following was just going to start up another website and then take all these images again and use them. So that's an overview, basically, of what was happening. Danny, thanks for that fantastic overview of, of the series, which was fascinating to watch and obviously extremely disturbing as well. As Danny mentioned, one of the facets of the docuseries and essentially the case was that there were some images on the website that were in fact put there voluntarily and or were placed there by friends. But in the case of Charlotte Law's daughter, Kayla, she hadn't sent the images to anybody. She had taken them in her own bedroom and uploaded them to her email because she had run out of space on her cell phone to store the photos. And so the issue that Charlotte Laws discovered is that, in fact, the pictures of her daughter and various other women had, in fact, been hacked. And so it was on that basis that the FBI were able to investigate because there was a clear crime. At that point in the U.S., revenge porn, which is really what this would be classed as, was not a crime. And so they needed to see what crime had occurred that they could then pursue. So ultimately, they were able to determine after a lot of hard work and a long investigation that Hunter Moore and a hacker had been involved in, in fact, hacking Kayla Law's email and various other victims, and then finding explicit images of them and uploading them online. So in January 2014, about four years after he launched the site isanyoneup.com, the FBI arrested Hunter Moore and his co-conspirator, the actual hacker himself, who was directed by Moore and paid by Moore, and charged him with various offenses. He did then later plead guilty to those charges 
or some of those charges, I should say, and was sentenced to two years and six months in prison. So at this point, and and it's unfortunate in the documentary, we don't really actually know where Hunter Moore is. We do know that he was contacted to take part in the docu-series and initially agreed and and then declined later on. So how does all of this fit into where we are in modern day life in 2022? Well, I mean, there's the legal position and there is the attitude of people to this so that was one of the things from the docuseries that I thought watching this back it was good to see how much of a change there was so you know as we've set out that the time frame this site opens in 2011 this man Hunter he goes on to US chat shows because it's a big thing at the time he's Mm. talking to people and there was a huge amount of commentary that you know while these women had put these these images online you know they wanted them to be seen there was nothing like we experienced today there was no discussion of revenge porn or anything like that it was this man became almost sort of a z-lister celebrity at the time and watching the interviews back I was shocked and you know we are only talking 10 11 years ago of the attitude of the presenters other people there was a point where as we say Charlotte went on tv onto a chat show with him and was saying these images should be taken down they were taken without consent and she had such a backlash saying well you know this was your daughter's position she put them online so it was if anyone's going to watch it I think it's actually really shocking the attitude that people had then. And I think it's very contradictory to what the position would be now if we were watching something or some a site like that came up now. I would hope that people's opinions on it would be, you know, really disgraced. Do you think that people are more alive to the risks of taking innocent images, indecent, no, potentially indecent, private indecent images? So photographs, films, whatever, being taken privately between consenting people and then they get shared. Do you think people recognise the risks or is there still a certain naivety? Well, I think, to my understanding, in respect of websites now, if something, and we've talked about it, we've had people contact us before where their images have gone up, you know, in these revenge porn situations and that, Although very difficult, if you can contact a website and it's in the right domicile, that images will be taken down. In the position that this was at the time, these women were contacting, and it was men, were contacting this website saying, I haven't consented to remove my image. They're just saying no, no. So that position is different. And I think people are are more aware of images. We're a lot more all. We're all a bit more savvy, I think, with the internet these days. But as Kathleen pointed out, these were hacked images. A large proportion of these women hadn't taken these images and sent them. And still, even if they had, they hadn't consented for them to be viewed by potentially millions of people. And that is something that our listeners, you know, will be aware of and we've talked about before. If you've taken an image 
and sent it to someone that person doesn't have consent to then you know send it to their group whatsapp or Mm. send it to their friends or definitely not put it on the internet and i know that even in schools children are being taught now we've had documentaries zara from love island did a documentary a couple of years ago i think it was last year and we talked about it about safety in schools and teaching children about sharing images so there's a lot more awareness Mm. especially with younger generations on what can happen with these images of course revenge porn is now a criminal offense and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment but i'm sort of thinking aloud it's easy to go onto social media and see that people have voluntarily deliberately posted say risque images of themselves Mm -hmm. and sometimes with somebody else so one would say well you've consented to your image or video whatever going on social media but then maybe a line then gets crossed if that image is then hacked in some way or misused well we're now in a position and as we say this was 10 years ago so in technology terms it's almost feels like a lifetime ago Mm. so we have websites now like OnlyFans, but with Mm. OnlyFans, that's a paid prescription website so that the images are never supposed to be removed. And I think there's some type of security that if you're a paid prescriber to this site, you can't actually lift the images off. You can view them. But then we talked about, and I think it was last year in the podcast, about how Pornhub had, I think it was a few million videos removed because, again, there was no consent in that. There was concerns that there was images using children. And it got to the point that I think MasterCard actually were going to pull the funding of it. Yeah, I was going to actually bring that up, I think. So that's just been a recent decision in California where a young woman named Flaties, F-L-E-I-T-E-S, if anybody wants to look it up, is suing MindGeek, which is the owner of Pornhub, as well as Visa for essentially child pornography. And what that case is about is essentially that video was taken of her when she was 13 years old performing sexual acts and then uploaded onto Pornhub. Visa is the kind of pay mechanism for subscribers to Pornhub and was aware that essentially this was child pornography. She had raised multiple times that she was underage and that it needed to be taken down. It's an interesting, I think, legal argument, and it will be interesting to see how the case develops in in the U.S. um, and what the ultimate, you know, repercussions could be for that here in the U.K. In that Visa was trying to remove themselves from the case, saying that there's no liability on them Mm -hmm. as the payment mechanism in terms of, you know, the harm that's been done to this, this young woman. But what the judge ruled in that case was that, in fact, Visa was aware of the fact that child pornography was being placed onto Pornhub's website and for a period of time, in fact, removed their service from Pornhub. In fact, PayPal permanently removed their service from Pornhub. And so the argument essentially is that Visa knew that there was child pornography on the website and continued, they were profiting from it essentially by being the the pay mechanism. And I think that raises again an issue altogether with what you were saying about, obviously it feels like a lifetime ago, 2012 to 2022 in terms of, you know, internet and technology and what's changed since then. But I think the issue around people who have had their images uploaded without their consent and the length of time it takes for that imagery mm-hmm. to be taken down is still a huge issue. Yeah. And looking at that, that Flady's case out of California, they don't devote the resources that really should be devoted to reviewing the content and ensuring that anything that is not consented to and or child pornography is in fact taken down. And of course, all of this can have 
consequences for the injured person, the victim. You say, you know, common sense would say it's going to be embarrassing, distressing. And that, of course, has consequences for the perpetrator too, because they can be liable both in criminal law, because it's a criminal offence under the 2015 legislation, could result in a prison sentence. And perpetrator might be liable in civil law for the harm that they have gone and caused their victim. So the consequences can be profound for both parties. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, that's well described in the in the docuseries by Taylor Laws, the daughter of Charlotte Laws and, and another victim who, in fact, made a very serious suicide attempt and was saved by her cat scratching the door and a roommate noticing because of the fact that these images had been uploaded without her consent. So I think the harm is much more significant than people realize. And I do think, again, going back to you know attitudes changing from 2012 to now, I think back then there was a real sense of, including by females, that you're stupid to take these images. And so yeah. you know it's your fault, really, regardless of whether you consented to them being uploaded onto a website. You should never have taken these images in the first place. How dumb are you? I think those attitudes have changed, but I don't think that they've changed completely. I think that there are still people who just think that, well, you shouldn't have done it in the first place. So that was foolish of you. And I think we continue kind of need to educate people about the fact that, you know, in today's day and age and and social media and technology, people do do this. They do take intimate images. They do share intimate images, but it doesn't mean that you're allowed to then pass them on to other people or upload them onto websites. I feel very strongly about that. I think what you do in the privacy of your own home does not give anyone ever the right to publish these images. And, you know, anyone who watches this series will see that there's quite a few people on it who talk about different scenarios. You've got people that felt they were unable to go to work afterwards. You've got people that actually, you know, had trouble keeping their children because the social services were involved in in the States and, showed them in a bad light effectively and as you said there was somebody who who wanted to commit suicide there was another woman who's basically nearly lost her relationship with her partner and luckily he was understanding and realized that you know she hadn't just sent these images out she'd been hacked in that case but you know from a personal level I couldn't imagine you know having to go and say to my mum and dad especially with that Charlotte's case you, you know If you watch the series, you see it play out that her stepdad in it says, you know, why did you do this? It was only because he worked in that area of law after he saw his wife tirelessly trying to get these images down. He knew and said the right things to another lawyer that he got his stepdaughters down. But, you know, it'd be, from my personal opinion, I think if I had to go and say to my parents, oh, these images are, are there, you can just feel how awful it'd be. And you could see why people wouldn't want to host those conversations with partners or the workplace or or, or yeah I mean I think the workplace thing is really important to point out as well in terms of there's a victim in the docuseries who was a kindergarten teacher who essentially was told to pack up her stuff and and leave immediately it's not clear entirely from the docuseries whether she did in fact lose her job but it did make me think for myself as a solicitor you know, what a horrific situation to yeah. find yourself mm. in where, God forbid, intimate images of you were uploaded and then having to go to, you know, your boss and say, yeah. look, this has happened. Yeah. 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 And and hoping that, you know, you have an understanding boss who would appreciate that people do this. It doesn't reflect badly on you. Yeah. It's more the reflection needs to be on the person who uploaded them. That's right. But as you say, you know, specifically in, in the, the kindergarten teacher, not even if it's your employers, if you've got understanding employers, okay, you know, they know. But, 
you know, for her, that the parents that are then going to see her, are they going to take her as seriously if, the, if they've mm. seen her naked on the internet? You know, mm. that that's not the per credibility as a professional should never have been questioned in that position. Mm-hmm. Very thought-provoking. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, as always. If there is anything in this podcast that you would like to comment on or raise with us, then please do get in touch. We always like to hear from you. So thank you very much. Uh, Thanks, Danny. Thanks, Kathleen. And thank you for tuning in to this podcast and look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.